Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 176, recorded August 7th, 2014. Alright, so today we're starting off the telepathy war with uh, Starfleet Academy number 12, Deep Space Nine number 12, and Deep Space Nine number 13. Yes, so we should be, uh, we will be getting firmly into the war in this, in this uh, string of comics. Right, finding out uh, what happens to Omega Squad. Yeah, and you know the thing that kind of that annoys me just a little bit is this is supposed to be telepathy wars, and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything here, but they don't deal as much with the telepathy war on the deep space, the deep space nine issues. Um, right. Well, none of these issues really have anything to do with telepathy except. What they well, found out while they were on uh, Talos Four. Well, yes, and they're trying to, and the Omega Squad is trying to escape, so they can, you know, continue to to try to protect the uh, the the slaughter of all the telepathic races, right, in the Alpha Quadrant. But um, what now that I have read the three issues and look back, and I say, oh, really? Not much of that had to do with the telepathy, telepathy wars. <laughs> right. So maybe next week when we do the uh, Star Trek Unlimited number six and telepathy war number one, then we'll really get into the telepathy part of this war. I would hope so. Especially the dedicated telepathy war issue. Right. So, so we'll see what happens. So maybe this is just set up. This is just the... Uh, we thought that being on Talos 4 was the setup to the telepathy war. Little did I did we know that it was this event at the wormhole. Right. So, yeah. So, uh, we do get to see a lot of exciting big battles going on as part of the Dominion War uh, at Deep Space Nine. So that's kind of cool. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, what do you think about getting started? I'm good to go. All right. I'm doing the first one, which is the uh, Starfleet Academy number 12, Telepathy War Part Number 1, titled Renegades. The published date is November 1997. Writer Chris Cooper, penciler Chris Renault, inker Andy Lanning, colors Kevin Summers, letterer Jim Novak, editor Bobby Chase, big brain chief Bob Harass. The cover shows Pava, Tapril, Idam, Decker in civilian clothes running away from something to their left. On their left is Earth, with a large starship moving left to right after a runabout. Text tells us this is part of the telepathy war. Another chunk of text says the cadets are sentenced to death and on the run. The issue opens after Admiral Pradesh has sentenced all the Omega Squad, except for Nog, to death for going to Talos IV. Pradesh, and it seems all of Starfleet, is ignoring the squad's warnings of the Dominion's genocidal war on all telepathic races of the Federation. 
They are telling Nog that he must carry on no matter what happens to them. His reassignment to Deep Space Nine to carry out his sophomore studies will be an opportunity to convince others of the dangers they face. Decker tells Nog they will do everything they can to appeal their death sentence, and considering the aid they are getting from their classmates, they may stand a chance. The scene shifts to an external view of the campus, where disgruntled cadets are holding signs aloft saying, Save Omega! Yoshi is at a podium's microphone, questioning the Semelin overdose Idam received at Pradesh's orders. The fact that Pava can barely walk due to injuries that have no logical explanation other than the ones the, the Omegas gave. Ambassador Spock's appeal, all the way up to the Federation Council president, has also failed. Yoshi says it's all up to them now. They need to take all nonviolent actions possible to make the administration see reason. The cadets are at the edge of insurrection as one of the cadets punches a campus security guard. The crowd shouts in unison, Free Omega! Free Omega! From his office above, Administrator Pradesh sees the unhappy crowd and asks to see Yoshi's permanent record. Pradesh's assistant says this is the third day of protests. He says this is serious. Pradesh says it will all blow over. The assistant says the executions are scheduled in three days' time. Three days more of this unrest and the campus will explode. Pradesh relents and says, let's move up the executions a few days to get this over with. That was not what his assistant had in mind, and he is shocked. Commander Zund enters the infirmary and is able to get medical support from Dr. Kataba for her suspicions that Idam was drugged to keep him from identifying another shapeshifter on campus. Dr. Kataba asks Zund if she knows of any cadet volunteers for a new antidote to Samalin overdoses. Zund says she has just the guy. Meanwhile, in their holding cell, Omega Squad contemplates their scheduled execution only a few hours away. Tapril has an emotional outburst over the likely death of her and other Federation telepathic races. They all agree but also say emotional outbursts are not normal for Vulcans, and that she has not been the same since Talos IV. The guard lets a visitor into their cell. It's Yoshi, and he says he is breaking them out. He tells them Zun's suspicions about the things Pradesh has been doing against them, including removing the warning boys around Thasian space, and ordering them to pick up Charlie Evans. He has been trying to get Omega Squad out of the way for months. Tapriel is so angry at Pradesh's treachery, she just has to physically be restrained. Yoshi offers them a phaser and gives Adam a shot of the antidote that will clear his head immediately. With his mind powers restored, Adam is able to convince the guards to let them out of the cell. Pava takes out the groggy guard with her crutches and then knocks Yoshi out cold to keep him from being implicated as the person that broke them out. As they get ready to depart, another security officer pulls his phaser on them. 
He says Pradesh expected something like this and ordered additional security. As Omega Squad prepares to fight their way out, the lights go out and makes their job easier. They overcome the additional security, but Pava wonders about the very handy blackout. In another part of the academy grounds, a workman with a flashlight chastises Boothby for having them drill into the ground at this spot. He is supposed to know these grounds inside and out. They hit a main power conduit. The team makes it to the hangar, but T'Pril is nowhere to be found. She is hunting Pradesh. She finds him and levels her phaser at him, saying, Admiral Pradesh, I find you guilty. Her logical Vulcan half is fighting her emotional Romulan half. The Romulan half appears to win the argument, but before she can pull the trigger, she is materialized away from Pradesh and onto the runabouts. Omega Squad is flying away from Earth. As she is materializing on the runabout, Pava says she deactivated T'Pril's phaser. Matt says, thank God, because vaporizing Pradesh would not solve a thing. They need to prove he's a shapeshifter. In Pradesh's office, Commander Zund is denying any involvement in Omega Squad's jailbreak. Pradesh says he suspects he is staring at a conspiracy as he glowers at Zund. Zund defiantly agrees, saying she is staring at a conspiracy right in the face. A very ugly one. Days later, aboard the borrowed runabout, Omega Squad's luck has run out. They have avoided other Starfleet vessels for days, but now the Sagan, an Intrepid-class ship, is calling for their surrender. A second ship, the Bolivar, cuts them off from another vector. Decker says they can't outrun them, and using weapons would be pointless as well as immoral. Just as they are preparing to signal their surrender, a Romulan ship decloaks and fires on the two larger Starfleet vessels. The Romulan sneak attack delivers major damage to the Bolivar and Sagan, but ignores the runabout. Though they could make a clean escape, Decker decides to attack the Romulan ship. They are able to take out the forward disruptor batteries. Scene cuts to the Romulan ship's bridge. We find out the Romulans attacked to protect their valuable asset aboard the runabout. Having accomplished that, they disengage by order of Sub-Commander Thokol of the Tal Shiar. The captain of the Sagan starts off questioning why the Romulans intervened, and in the end lets the cadets go due to Decker's assertion that they tried to foster a rift in the Starfleet ranks. The cadets change out of their uniforms and into civilian clothes. Pava is looking hot and magically recovered from her broken back. They decide to go to Deep Space Nine, where Nog is, and the front line in the, in the Dominion War. They have a telepath massacre to stop, damn it. Meanwhile, in the Enterprise E, Will Riker and Deanna Troy take an incoming transmission from Admiral Decker. The Admiral is taking personal charge of the renegade cadet situation and will be coming aboard the Enterprise as soon as they arrive at Earth. The comm channel is closed as Riker calls Captain Picard to the bridge. Deanna points out that the Admiral's only son is one of the cadets. Riker says he thinks she is right and does not like it one bit. But in the end, it looks like it's up to the Enterprise to bring the cadets in. To be continued. Bum bum bum. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was kind of cool seeing uh, Riker and Troy at the end. Sure. 
We knew no. we knew they were coming. We knew the Enterprise was coming into it somehow. Yes. So. And it was nice seeing those gray uniforms finally make their appearance. <laughs> yes, you like those gray uniforms. I do too. And they were drawn quite well. I think Riker was drawn very well at the end. Yeah. Nope. I love them. And yeah. it took them long enough because I think they they should have already been in them by now. But right. Yeah. Especially Deep Space Nine. Right. I will just say at the end, uh, Deanna looks a little funky. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the way the way they drew her face, the way her eyes look, and and her nose, her little pixie nose. She looks uh, kind of like uh, Veronica from the Archie comics. Veronica was the brunette, right? Yeah, Veronica was the brunette. Right. Okay, hey, okay, is that yeah, that's her. I thought she just looked like uh, First Contact Troy, who who also looked a little funky. <laughs> oh, was that because of the plastic surgery, or I don't know? She just didn't look didn't look the same anymore. I don't think she could actually smile the same way anymore. <laughs> anyway. Right. So, you know, artwork is very good in this comic. I, I like the artwork in general that they have in these uh, Starfleet Academy ones. Um, and, and I think Riker looks great. Uh, but I got to tell you, not crazy about the look on Troy's face. So, Right. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, as far as the artwork goes, I really like the uh, the fight scenes and stuff. Right. With uh, Pava using the crutches. And oh. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought that looked... Really cool. Right. Yeah. Okay, how about that? So I, I alluded it a bit in my synopsis. It's like, okay, 23rd century medicine, you, you got to love it. But, um, man, I, th- I, I find it difficult to believe that she recovered from a back uh, break that quickly. Well, if you remember, um, Worf... Worf broke his back, and then in the next episode, he was up and fine and, and no problem. So, <laughs> you don't think we've gone one episode in in timeline yet? I think it's just damn handy. That's all I gotta say. Yeah, I did like how she says she makes a throwaway comment that she was using the crutches just for sympathy or something like that. Right. Yep. I thought that was pretty good. Yep. And I liked how the wasn't it in this one where the doctor said something to the effect of he didn't see or she didn't see why she was she'd spent all that time putting Pava back together if they were just going to kill her anyways. I, I you know we were making that comment when we did issue eleven. I, I I thought it was nice that they actually brought it up. Yeah, right. So I thought it was interesting how when they beamed to Prill out of uh, Starfleet Academy and onto the runabout as they were making their escape, and she was getting ready to shoot him. I thought it was kind of interesting because it totally reminded me of the next-gen episode, The Most Toys, where Data was getting ready to uh, shoot the uh, the traitor right, right. Uh, who, who abducted him and was getting ready to you know kill people. Um, I thought that was a, it, it, kind of a retread of that same kind of uh, situation, right? And even to the even to the extent of deactivating the phaser in transport. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I didn't think about that, but you're absolutely right. And then Data says something. <laughs> what did Data say? So he didn't admit to anything, but right. he also kind of didn't lie, or, or yeah, right. He made some sort of offhand comment that you know, like. Well, that is weird that it was going off. Hmm. And then he walks off. <laughs> now, I love, I like that. That 
that is a really good episode. I really like that episode. But um, interesting, they, they retreaded that. But it worked very well where they used it with Japrell. Right. So she sneaks up on Pradesh. Uh, he, she doesn't make any noise. And then the beam out happens, and she still doesn't make any noise. And I've, I've heard enough transporter beam effects that it's noisy. <laughs> you can hear it. They even put in the sound effect. Zim. Right. Oh, was Pradesh unaware that that she was getting ready to shoot him? Right. I think he's sitting there chewing out Zun the whole time. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, uh, yep. Well, that I agree with you. Uh, that should be making noise. Big time. Right. So I want to know how Yoshi smuggled a phaser into a, uh, a holding cell. Well, yeah. Maybe he had it hidden in the tricorder or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, what was he doing with the tricorder? He was going to give some medicine to somebody. I, I don't well, even know why he was there. Well, okay. So the whole thing was like whacked. Okay. So, okay. So we knew that when the doctor said, hey, I got basically, um, I've got a little hypo here that could help um, eat him out. Although without actually saying it. I knew somehow Zund was going to get that into into the Omega Squad, so I knew that was going to happen. But I right. didn't know exactly how. And then Yoshi shows up. It's like, oh, well, I guess that's how they're going to do it. Uh, but then it's like, he's handing them phasers and stuff. It's like, I, where are you getting that from? I mean, they're going to just let you walk in with, their, with a phaser? I mean, come right. on. And, and of and all then, the people to take this stuff, too, why take the one that's been protesting right outside Pradesh's office? You exactly. He would, like, he would have been red flagged as do not let him visit. Well, something. Um, so at this time when I'm reading, I'm thinking, is he Pradesh who shapeshifted into Yoshi's form and actually is trying to get them to break, you know, uh, to make a break for it so he has a reason to shoot him? Well, you, like, you're going on the assumption that Pradesh is the shapeshifter. I am going on that assumption, exactly. 100% I'm going on that assumption. <laughs> Which could be wrong because it's too obvious, but um, something's going on here, right? Anyway, but of course, uh, my my assumptions were wrong. My theory was wrong. Uh, apparently, that uh, was Yoshi. Yeah, he he seemed to be the real Yoshi. Yeah, right. But he seems to have a lot of clout because he tells the security guard, uh, "You can leave and let me visit with these guys un unmonitored." And the guy's right. like. Sure thing, boss. <laughs> He's a freshman. He's a freshman just like Decker. Right. I, yeah. I don't get it. Why Why the security guard leave? I don't know. Did not make sense. No. No, that didn't make sense. So, yeah, out of all of that, him show, just pulling the phaser out of nowhere was the least of my concerns. But now that you <laughs> mention it, it, it doesn't make sense. That, that, didn't, uh, that didn't come to mind? Okay. That part didn't. I was just like, yeah. okay, well, I don't know what, how he got here. Right, right. And no red flags were flipped, but okay, he's there. Yeah. But now you're right. Doesn't make sense. Right. So interesting, the Romulans showed themselves to protect their asset. Yeah, I like that. I always I always liked it when the, the Romulans showed up like a wild card, just shows up and then leaves and right. kind of helps a little bit. They did that right. a lot on Deep Space Nine. This time they have an ulterior motive other than we just don't want the Dominion to win, but um, I always I always like that 
just out of the blue, Dominion or the Romulans help you. Yeah, we're gonna see that a lot today. Yeah, I don't. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not to spoil anything, but <laughs> so once they get away, what's the first thing you would do uh, if you were in a stolen runabout? I would switch ships if I could. No, first thing you do is just change clothes because that makes sense. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. No, when they spent all that time changing clothes and, oh, I'm going to look like a civilian and blah, 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 and I'm wearing short shorts. And I'm thinking, you're still in a stolen runabout that everybody knows you're in. Right. That should be your first, that should be your first thing. But You're we'll, being sarcastic. We'll, I am not. I'm being sarcastic, as in they should have done. They should have switched ships. Yeah, exactly. Instead of spending two pages on their new outfits. Right. But we'll see if we'll see if they do switch ships before uh, the next issue. Yes, we don't know. We don't know if that's going to happen. Maybe they will. I mean, if I was going to go to a Federation uh, outpost, who's on the lookout for a runabout, I I might want to get out of it. But hey, who knows? Yeah, we'll see. We will see. Indeed. So these civilian outfits they're in. I mean, is it just me, or does Decker have kind of, sort of, some kind of superhero get up on? <laughs> with the shoulder pads and stuff? With the, with the big shoulder metal shoulder pad things, and he's got hero gloves. He's got, like, Captain America gloves or something on. And uh, he just looks like he's, he's ready to uh, go out and save the day. Right. I could see it, especially with that hair. <laughs> yes. Yes. Get your bangs cut, man. Just get your bangs cut. You look like an idiot. <laughs> and we see uh, Admiral Decker for the first time, I think, in this, this issue. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to say more about this in the next issue, but, you know, Pradesh doesn't make any freaking sense. Uh, sorry. Any, any freaking sense to me. And uh, Decker doesn't make any sense. Admiral Decker, that is. They are all, they're all behaving like uh, shapeshifters. You know, just trying to, mm. oh, you got to kill them, got to kill them, got to kill them. Right, yeah. And I, I, I don't get it. I don't get I mean, they can't all be shapeshifters. It's too obvious. So what's the deal? Anyway. Well, maybe it's all the same shapeshifter. He, he moves a lot between bodies, I guess. So we'll see. Yes, we will. Okay, so that's really all I have to say about this particular issue. It, uh, it, it did what it had to do, which is get Omega Squad out of prison. Right. So my last comment, and maybe we'll cut this part, uh, okay. is what do you think Yoshi's and Matt's relationship is? <laughs> They're really good buddies. Uh, right, but when, when he comes in and he's whispering to them, he puts his hands on... Decker's face and kind of a an embrace almost, and I wasn't sure if that was supposed to imply that maybe they were more than friends or they were just he's just trying to talk really low or something. Well, you could you could interpret it that way, or Yoshi's just really trying to get Decker's attention, right? You know, so yeah, way he's saying cut the cut the noble crap. We need to get right. down to business. Right, right, You right. guys can't stay here. So maybe he was trying to do that, but yeah, I kind of had the same kind of, uh, you know, thought. Right. Okay. 
They're obviously good close friends. They are good friends, and we've seen him before, so it's not completely out of the blue. No. Oh, yeah. Th- yeah, if you don't recall from earlier issues, I mean, Yoshi and Decker were big buddies, and they thought they were going to be together uh, through the Academy on right. the same team. Right. Which didn't work out, which, thank gosh. Yeah, otherwise... He sure c- he's coming in handy in this issue, I'll tell you. Yeah, he is. All right, that was my last comment. Cool. Shall we move on to Deep Space Nine? Yes, and find out what's happening with this stuff. Where are they off to? Where are they off to? I think they're off to Deep Space Nine, since that's the name of the the title. Cool. (laughs) Let's find out. All right, so this came out December of 1997. And the writers are Michael Martin and Andy Mangles. Tom Grinberg is the penciler. Bob Almond is the inker. Chris Elopoulos and Virtual Calligraphy Letterers. Glynis Oliver is the colorist. Chip Carter is Starfleet. Tim Tui is editor. And Bob Harris is editor-in-chief. So the cover shows all of Omega Squad, with the exception of Nog. And they are cornered between Cisco and Odo. Cisco is holding a phaser, and Odo is standing there with a very stern look. The caption reads... Is this the end of Omega Squad? You got to read it as if it was a uh, comment from the end of a Batman episode. Is this the end of Omega Squad? Yeah, anyways. All right, so the story starts off with Cisco and the crew of Deep Space Nine preparing for an all-out war between the Cardassians and the Dominion. A lot has happened in the month since Luxwana left the station. The crew are all now wearing their new black and gray uniforms and a ragtag group of federation ships are now in formation around the station the station and all the ships all still seem to be licking wounds that they received during the borg attack in the movie first contact as well as several recent episodes of deep space nine which is furthering the the dominion war picard of the enterprise contacts cisco and informs him that they are about two hours away Cisco fears that even the Enterprise will not be enough to fend off the oncoming attack by the Dominion and Cardassians. Picard tells Cisco that the defense of Bajor is not the only reason for his arrival. And with that, Admiral Decker steps into frame and accuses Cisco of harboring the Omega Squad. He speculates that since Nog is on the station, his former squad mates will arrive or they are already there. Odo and Sisko both assure the Admiral that they are not there. Decker continues to be a jerk to them, even calling Odo Shapeshifter instead of by his name. Meanwhile, in Nog's room, he and Jake are watching the transmission. Nog was able to splice into the comm feed in order to see it. Both are surprised that Decker is so eager to get his son back to Earth so that he can be executed. Jake tries to get Nog to tell him what he knows of Omega Squad's whereabouts. Nog refuses, and this puts a strain on the former BFFs. Meanwhile, in space, Omega Squad are still traveling in their stolen runabout and are heading towards Deep Space Nine. Matt is confident that Nog will be able to help them out once they're there. Later, Klingons arrive to Deep Space Nine to provide assistance. General Martog 
tries to talk Sisko into letting Worf take the Defiant out with his ships and attack the oncoming fleet. Kira and Worf both agree with this plan, that they need to attack first. Sisko refuses, and he orders Worf to the airlock to greet the Enterprise as they arrive. While Worf and Kira walk towards the airlock, Worf makes a comment that he has been ordered to stay away from the Defiant, and that no one will be there to watch it. Wink, wink. This hint is not lost on Kira. Meanwhile, in the Defiant, Nog beams over Omega Squad from the runabout. He states that the Defiant's transporters are not locked down as all the other transporters on the station are. He then beams himself and Omega Squad to Quark's liquor cabinet. No one will ever look for them there. Meanwhile, at docking Pylon B, Worf and O'Brien meet with Riker, Troy, and Admiral Decker. They say that Picard will stay aboard the Enterprise to provide assistance to the fleet protecting the station. Worf and Troy have a conversation about Worf's love life, Worf only stating that he's dating an older woman. Riker and O'Brien talk about O'Brien's recent run-in with Thomas Riker. Eventually, the group make it back to Ops. Decker continues to accuse everyone of hiding Omega Squad. Sisko states that the cadets would not ever be as stupid to keep traveling in a stolen shuttle straight to Deep Space Nine. As if on cue, Dax reports that the runabout has been spotted outside of the station. They try to beam over the cadets, but they cannot get a lock on. They then try to lock on a tractor beam and bring the craft aboard, but the craft attempts to go to warp and is destroyed. Decker is then satisfied that the cadets are all dead, and he beams back to the Enterprise with Riker. Troy stays behind because she says she can sense the telepathic cadets aboard the station, and she wants to know what they're up to. Nog makes his way back to the Defiant to erase the transporter log at the same time that Kira is heading to the Defiant in order to steal it for the upcoming fight. She, Odo, and Garrick take command of the Defiant and they depart the station. Sisko tries to stop them, but Kira is able to escape and also beam Worf away from his station. Before Sisko can try to get his ship back and his crew, the wormhole opens up and several Jem'Hadar ships start to cross over. Omega Squad then arrives and ops as well, stating that it's time for them to help. To be continued. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so that is... <laughs> so it's a good thing they got rid of the runabout. Yeah, so that it just pacifies Decker. <laughs> okay, so... So we were just saying how they, the first thing you want to do is get rid of the, the, the ship everybody's looking for. But it looks like they turned it around and used it to, um, to make them think that they're dead. Which is unusually clever of them. You think it's clever? Well, I wasn't expecting it. I mean, the main thing they were talking about when Nog was beaming him around and everything is that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shuffle you into Quark's, you know, storeroom. Right. They didn't talk anything about, you know, setting the runabout to blow up when somebody tries to put a tractor beam on him. Right. So was that, was that all, so that, I assume that was part of the plan too. Yeah, I'm assuming it was part of the plan. I mean, they must have, by remote control, you know, set it to, hey, you know. Take off to warp. 
Right, and blow up. Yeah, and and blow up. It's like, really? Does it do that? Is it is that a common thing? I okay. <laughs> Everybody seemed to be okay with it. Okay. Oh yeah, it just blew up. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, those kids are dead. Oh well, they were going to yeah. die anyways. Let's move on. And again, the admiral's son, right? It's the admiral's son, right? All right. Well, I think by this time we know that he's he's he might be something else. Well, it's the same. Th- yeah. Okay, I agree. It's the same thing as with Pradesh. They're not. They're not behaving logically. Right. But but even more so with Decker, it being his own son. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. But if he is a changeling, then why could Troy not figure him out? Because I thought the whole thing was is that they were going to get a bunch of telepaths to help root out the uh, changelings. But she's only half Beta Z. Maybe. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. He, he did. He did, and I left it out of the synopsis. But he did get onto her that she needs to use her magic telepathic powers to find. Um, Omega Squad. Yeah, and she she points out, but I'm only half beta Z. Exactly right. So I don't know. And if well, he is a change, if he is a changeling, man, he's 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 racist because he keeps <laughs> call, he keeps calling Odo you shapeshifter. Damn you, you dirty ape! I mean shapeshifter. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely doing that. Uh, well, how about, how about another thing? If I was Edom. Or Edom, or however you pronounce his damn name, I, you know, I'd be on the lookout for shapeshifters anywhere. Right. I mean, and, and he probably is aware of Odo, um, so I would think that he would have the old uh, shapeshifter uh, sniffer out there going. Right. So. Well, he hasn't been in close contact with Decker, so maybe maybe it's a a distance thing. Maybe. Maybe. So I like how Odo is the one who's calling Starfleet out for his decision to uh, to kill the, the kids. Right. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like that. That's good. Right. Well, that, that since part... I don't have any Starfleet pips, I'm going to tell you what I think. I like that. <laughs> yeah, and, and man, do they make a lot of references to random episodes of the show. Oh, completely agreed. So what? I, I was only part way. I was like in the first ten pages or something, and I had already counted like eight or nine different references to other TV shows or comics. Right, but some of them make sense. Um, like I like the Odo saying that he would never give over somebody to death without being a hundred percent of their guilt because he's done that before and, right. and he still feel guilt, feels guilty about it. Yeah. That that to me made sense. That was a good little nod to his character. Right. But then some of the other ones were just seemed so random that you were just kind of forcing like the Reich, Thomas Riker thing. Oh, uh Yeah, that was I, I ran in with your bro- your twin brother not too long ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that's the best thing you can think to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, it, he's he's married at this point, right? Who? O'Brien. Riker. Yeah, O'Brien is. Yeah, so was has Riker seen him since he was well, yeah, married? He was married on, on the Enterprise. Picard oh, performed oh the that's ceremony. true. You're right, you're right. Sorry Data was that. the best man. Got it, got it, got it. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I was just trying to find something else more interesting for them to talk about other than that. But 
the Thomas Riker thing. Right. Now, now, mind you, they are trying to fit this issue into well-established territory. Right. Well, actually, this one and then the next one. So, I mean, this is one of the attacks that took place that they did depict in uh, in the TV show, Deep Space Nine. So, Is it? I think it is. Okay. Because I was just thinking that this was just yet another one. Really? But I don't know for sure. I didn't, I didn't go back I- and... Yeah, I didn't cross-reference everything either. I will, I will readily admit to that. But it seems like this is one of the attacks they, they underwent. So okay. they had to fit this in. But then again, I mean, they never talked about Omega Squad. Uh, <laughs> and they never talked about um, Telepathy War or any of this kind of stuff on, the, the on, the, on DS9. Exactly. And by the way, okay, I got this is a comment for the next issue. Notice that the Enterprise... Um, is girding for war at the end of this, right? So, whatever girding means. Is is that what Decker was going to go off and do? Right, gird. that's... <laughs> gird for war. G-I-R-D. Anyway, so that's what they say towards the end. Right. So, um, just remember that in the next issue. Right. Can't wait to see what happens. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So, so again, Admiral Decker's behavior, I don't get. No. Very weird. Yeah. I do like Worf's idea to attack first, before the Cardassians and Jem Hadar are completely, you know, before they have their forces completely positioned. I do like that. Um, I'm just very surprised about the... Um, about how many people don't think that uh, Cisco is right about shoring up, making sure their defenses are ready first before right. they go off attacking. So that is really that is really kind of interesting. And I do not remember anything even remotely resembling this in, uh, the, in the TV show during the Dominion War. No. No, and I didn't... I mean, you said you like when that... Uh, you said you like Worf's idea, but... My problem with it is that it wasn't even Worf's idea. It was Martog's idea. And Worf's just like, yeah, let me go, well, let okay. me go. Right. Okay, so so I like Martog's idea, if that's if that's better. So yeah. well, Martog's I just, idea. I didn't like that, that really Worf is just there for the ride in these two issues. He doesn't really do anything on his own except for kind of give Kira the wink-wink, nobody's going to be watching the Defiant if you want to take it out. That's basically the only thing he, he contributes. Yeah. And in the next issue, it's a little better, but not that much. I wouldn't say much better. If... Yeah. Well, we'll get to the next issue, but right. Even during the battle, it seems like everybody else is talking, and Worf is just saying status report. But whatever. <laughs> right. I don't want. I don't want to jump ahead. Right. Yeah, that's that's all I have for this one. I did like how when uh, Nog is walking back to the Defiant because he forgot to erase the transporter logs. Right. That he happens to be walking down the hall and be the tallest person in the hallway at that time. I mean, e- even factoring in that he's kind of in closer perspective than the two people that it shows behind him. Yeah, right. They are much shorter than him. Yeah, and the one guy looks like uh, well, he's a pretty wide guy, wide dude. Right. 
Yeah, and he doesn't look like he's that far behind him. Neither one of them looked that far behind him to be that small. You know, that's a really good point. I hadn't noticed that. So I'm like, Nog is always so tiny, yet yep. here he's a giant. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, they're both obviously aliens. At least I assume the one with the back to us is alien also. Right. So I guess, I guess they're short aliens. Short aliens. My last thing is I, I liked the um, Troy-Worf confrontation because, you know, season seven of Next Generation, they were dating. First Contact and all of Deep Space Nine, they never referenced that ever again. Right. So the only time we got any type of resolution with their relationship was um, the Imzadi novels that Peter David wrote and I guess this. This, this, right. this is the closest we've ever gotten to them showing that they've moved on. Right. Something I think that they needed. I think they needed closure. I needed that closure. The heck with them, damn it. I needed it. Good point. Oh, I do have one more thing to say. Okay. Penciler, Tom Grindberg. I, I'll tell you, I, I'm, he's a good artist and stuff. I'm just not crazy about you know some of the some, the look of this of this comic series in general but i there's a whole bunch of ships being drawn uh around the station which is cool makes perfect sense the defense and not everybody is uh you know starfleet ships and stuff right. uh, that's part of the defense fleet uh but i think although the defiant looks very good looks very accurate Pretty much every other ship they're showing on that big two-page spread at the beginning mm-hmm. um, looks like there's a lot of artistic license being taken with the ship shapes. Right. So there is a um, uh, what there's there's a ship that looks a little bit like the Reliant. Right. There, you know, with the two nacelles and that kind of stuff, like from uh, Wrath of Khan. But I think the style of drawing it is very thin and wispy and and. Not a lot of detail. No. Well, there's not a lot of detail. And also, just the general shape looks very thin and wispy and not overly accurate. Right. And now, and then the Klingon ships. So you'd think the Klingon ships would be more accurate because, you know, uh, but they don't look right either. And then some of the other ships, I don't even recognize them. I mean, so they look kind of like intrepid class ships, but they look fatter and broader. Yes. Right. Now, mind you, they do in the book say that it's, you know, th- there's some other neighbors mm-hmm. that have lent some uh, some ships in, in the defense fleet. So some of them I expect to be not, you know, look, you know, be some other kind of races, uh, ships. But, geez, almost none of these look right. Agreed. Which kind of bugged me. Except for Defiant. Defiant looks good. Like I said before, but... Anyway, the Defiant it. looks good, but there's a, there's a shot when um, Omega Squad is coming in to, to Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. And it shows the Defiant docked, and then below it, it shows the Enterprise E docked. Right. And I, I know that, you know, prospectively, the Defiant's a little bit closer, because it's only halfway, you know, the distance of the Deep Space Nine and the and Enterprises at the very bottom. Right. But it's still huge compared to the Enterprise E. I mean, yeah. it's not bigger than the Enterprise E, but compared to what it's supposed to be, it's 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 very large. Hmm. 
Enterprise E is supposed to be big ship, gigantic. Yep. So uh, I thought that ship. perspective was a little off. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the Nog thing. <laughs> that's right. I think there's some some oddly odd perspective here. Right. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Oh, oh and okay. also also just to mention that this is the first time we're actually seeing Omega Squad drawn by Grindberg in this issue. Right. So we're used to seeing um, the other penciler, which I don't re- recall his name, but uh, Chris Renault. So we're used to seeing him drawing uh, Omega Squad, and right. I, I just, I just, I don't like how they're being drawn here. No, they they look a little little odd. Like Edom looks looks the closest. Everybody right. else to me looks way off. Yeah, right. Okay, good. I'm, it's not just me. Especially Nog. <laughs> Especially when he's really tall. And thin. I mean, look at him like when he's talking to Jake. He looks very, like, lean. Right. Yep. Doesn't have those Ferengi cheekbones. Which, you've got to have that, or else how can you have a Ferengi? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. All right, that's it. That's all I got, too. So, shall we uh, go to the Day of Honor? Yeah, let's see what happens there. Okay, so issue number 13, Deep Space Nine. Telepathy War Part 3. Subtitled, Day of Honor. Published date is January 1998. We're in a new year now. Yay. Writers, Michael Martin and Andy Mangels. Penciler, Tom Morgan. Inker, Keith Williams. Letterer, Chris Elipolis and Virtual Calligraphy. Colors, Chai Wang. Starfleet, Chip Carter. Editor, Tim Tui. Editor-in-Chief, Bob Harras. The cover shows Worf holding a very wounded Major Kira on the exploding bridge of the Defiant. Many Jem'Hadar ships are bearing down on them with guns blazing. The issue opens where the previous issue left off. Worf is beamed from Ops to the Defiant's bridge against Sisko's orders by Kira. Worf objects because this goes against Captain Sisko's orders. But this really is what Worf wants to do, and Kira tells him so. Before they can complete their argument, Garrick points out the invasion has begun. Thirty or more Jem'Hadar ships are streaming through the wormhole. Though the number looks overwhelming, they point out an all-out Dominion-Cardassian attack should have even more ships. Nog comes out of hiding and asks to be returned to the station. They ask him what he is doing there. Odo figures it has something to do with Omega Squad then puts two and two together and deduces he used the Defiance transporters to smuggle the cadets out of the runabout and into the station. The Sherlock Holmes demonstration is interrupted by an incoming call from Dukat on the lead Kardashian ship. Dukat trades some not-so-clever jibes with Major Kira, then gives them a minute to surrender to the all-too-ready Jem'Hadar boarding party. Kira turns the Khan over to Worf, who takes it with resolve. Dukat asks Worf if today is a good day to die. Worf replies, saying, No, it is a good day for you to die. 
Seconds later in DS9's ops, Cisco and his team are monitoring the battle that is being waged all around the station. Dax reports the shields are holding on so far, but Chief O'Brien says not for long with the rate of enemy fire they are taking. Dax asks if it's time to use the photon torpedoes, and Cisco says yes and fire. Suddenly, O'Brien reports that a dozen Cardassian ships have dropped out of warp from the opposite direction of the existing attacking force. Some of the station's fire is redirected to the new incoming attackers. Omega Squad is sick of just standing there. They want to help, but are not sure exactly how. As if on cue, Dax reports they have lost contact with the landing pad 1, and a Jem'Hadar troop ship had punched through the station's shields. Odds are the ship landed on the suddenly silent pad. Sisko tells Omega Squad he accepts their offer of help and orders them to landing pad 1. Decker accepts Sisko's phaser and says, Yes, sir. Meanwhile, on Martok's cloaked ship, Martok observes the beating the Defiant is taking by multiple Cardassian ships that surround it. Martok's lieutenant says Worf is outgunned and surrounded. Martok says they will wait. He will not deprive Worf of a glorious victory in the face of such odds. However, on board the Defiant, the latest directed energy hits have knocked out many systems. Odo reports warp drive is offline. Nog reports weapons are no longer responding. The ship has a large hull breach on the lower decks. Structural integrity fields are all that is holding them together. Another direct hit like the one they just experienced will cripple the ship if they are lucky or destroy it utterly if they are not. They have some impulse power and transporters that are still working, and that's about it. Worf gives the signature line, Prepare for ramming speed! Kira interrupts and pulls rank, saying, They won't be doing that. Better to live and fight another day. Worf says they cannot let this opportunity to destroy Dukat slip past. Again, Garak asks if they can make up their minds as to who is giving the orders. Suddenly, Martok and his three Klingon birds of prey decloak and fire on the Cardassian and Jem'Hadar ships that are ganging up on Defiant. Martok's attack leaves Dukat's ship without power, but before they can capitalize on the situation, Martok's severely damaged ship has a warp core breach underway. Odo reports a transport sequence is underway to Defiant. Meanwhile, back on DS9, Sisko is recording what might be his last station log entry. He tells of the Jem'Hadar's successful boarding parties that have taken over the habitat ring. Civilians are under attack as well as security forces. Sisko recommends commendations for all the Starfleet, Bajoran, and even civilians who are bravely resisting the invasion. Special commendation to the cadets of Omega Squad, who are fighting bravely to defend the station. No matter what they have been charged with, their valor on this day should easily justify their pardon. Tapriel is hit by a Jem'Hadar weapon, but is saved by Troy, who beams them both directly to sickbay, where Dr. Bashir treats her. In Ops, Sisko is told the last of the civilians have left the station for Bajor, in escape pods. 
If he wants to initiate self-destruct, he could do it now. Sisko weighs his options long and hard. He does not want to destroy what they have built here at the station. O'Brien reports Gamma Quadrant sensors indicate a massive number of Jem'Hadar ships are massing to cross over to the Alpha Quadrant. Dax says she never knew Sisko to give up on a fight. Sisko says Picard never gave up when he and the Enterprise went up against the Borg. Dax reports sensors indicating decloaking Romulan ships. Meanwhile, back in Defiant, Nock explains he interfaced General Martok's transporter system with the Defiance. It's Martok and his men transporting over, not a Jem'Hadar boarding party. Worf welcomes Martek aboard as his bird of prey explodes. Martok directs the engineer that beamed over with him to go to the Defiance engine room to start repairing the ship. With a devilish grin, Martok suggests they should now focus their rage on Dukat and his ship, which is in no better shape than than the Defiant at the moment. Unfortunately, Martok's assessment of Dukat's ship turns out to be inaccurate, as it is coming directly at Defiant in an attack posture. As Worf completes saying, Perhaps today is a good day to die. A Romulan ship decloaks between Defiant and Dukat's ship. The Romulan lead ship opens a channel with the Defiant. Some terse words are bandied about between the Romulans, Worf, and Martok. They observe the Jem'Hadar and Cardassian forces are retreating from the station. It's as if the attack was a diversionary tactic, but what was their attention diverted from? Tomalak offers a tow to Defiant, back to the station. Worf begrudgingly accepts, but he says they will never be allies. Meanwhile, back in DS9's ops, Sisko, Dax, and O'Brien are discussing the mystifying retreat of the Jem'Hadar and Cardassian attack forces. They say Dukat's ship got away. O'Brien says, Who would have thought they would owe their survival to the Romulans? Sisko says the chief may be selling the rest of the defenders short, including Omega Squad. Dax says it's hard to believe that after all they did, Admiral Decker still intends to drag the cadets back to Earth for execution. Sisko shakes Matt Decker's hand and thanks him and his team for their contribution to the defense of the station. Sisko says he has tried his best to talk sense into the Admiral and Starfleet about their situation, but to no avail. Decker says they will go quietly with the Admiral. Bashir tells Sisko that he will not allow them to take to Priel to the, in the condition she is in, or Astrin, whose presence seems to be calming her. The Admiral walks up to Sisko and says he can accept that, but he is taking Pava and Matt with them back to the Enterprise. After the Enterprise completes its mission to the Gamma Quadrant, they will swing back to pick up the recovered Tapriel and Astron. Sisko will continue to have Nog at the station. Troy snaps at Pava angrily over how she is concerned as to Troy's health. She has been holding her head in distress during the conversation between Sisko and the Admiral. As the Admiral, part of Omega Squad, Riker, and Troy beam back to the Enterprise, Worf and his crew from the Defiant walk up to Sisko. Sisko turns his back on them and tells Dax to order Kira and the rest of her pirate crew arr, 
to his office in ten minutes. Later, as the pirate crew follows Dax slowly through the promenade to Sisko's office, Kara assumes she will be replaced for disobeying Sisko's direct orders, and all for some Dominion feint. She is nothing but a pawn in a, in a Dominion chess game. Dax finally explains the Klingon Day of Honor to Kira and the others, since Worf will not. It is a day when a Klingon warrior must join forces with a hated foe to defeat a common enemy. It was a trial for Worf, but he was able to work with Garak and the Romulans this day. They enter Sisko's office. Kira, Worf, and Odo offer their resignations to Sisko, who will not take them. Sisko says he should take their resignations for what has amounted to piracy, but he knows he will need them in their current positions if he has any hope of getting the station operational again in time for the next attack. Sisko dismisses them as he tries to figure out exactly what to put in his log. The Telepathy War story will be continued in Star Trek Unlimited, issue number six. Okay. Huh? Huh? Yeah, that was the end. That was the end. So, we have a big, big battle. This issue is nothing but Dominion War battles going on, or so we think. Right. And, I mean, can we go ahead and talk about... Worf's ineptness or his <laughs> it, like you said last last issue he doesn't do anything except just go along with whatever somebody else says right which I really hated yeah now mind you in the battle in the thick of battle Worf could have been given great orders and everything but we never saw it we never heard about it right yeah the only order we hear is ramming speed okay? exactly <laughs> and then everybody's like whoa and then he just sits there and like, okay. Yeah, exactly. Whoa there, Tex. <laughs> you know, cool your jets, Flash. Maybe not. That's funny. Actually, it's mainly Kira that's doing it. but Right. I'm sure Garak and Odo aren't crazy about the idea either, but, you know. Yeah, I just thought that was a little odd that he, he basically, you know, I know that that's basically the only line he gives in First Contact, but I loved him mm-hmm. showing up in first contact as commander of the Defiant and, yes. you know, basically calling the shots as far as that ship goes. Right. You know, even though we only see him do the one one command, but you get the feeling like he was there, you know, he was... Oh, he was a man. He was Are the man. Getting... Oh, yeah. And yet here he's like, oh, okay, Kira, I won't kill us. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then he wants to, you know, tell Tomalak where to go. And then Martok's like, oh, Orf, I don't think that's a good idea. Okay, Martok, whatever you say. I'll be nice. It's <laughs> <laughs> like anything he wanted to do, somebody else told him he couldn't do it. Yeah. But in the end, it was a trial for Worf, but he came through it well. So he came through it well by being a wimp. Right, yes. It's the Masculate Worf episode. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's true, it's true. But sometimes you have to le- learn to uh, bend with the breeze a bit. Right. I mean, even though you really wanted to kill Dukat, you know, maybe living to fight another day is a good idea. Right. So did you understand what was going on when the... I mean, when I, I guess there was three ships, three Romulan ships that decloaked and... Oh, I completely agree. That's one of my first number one things to talk about. Okay, so what what do you think happened? I think it's BS. So you 
you've got Defiant, a sitting duck, and then you've got a Cardassian ship. And I thought it was Dukat's ship, but I guess technically yeah, speaking, yeah. it could be anybody's I ship. I think it's Dukat's ship. Okay, well, that's what I thought too, but I'm, I'm trying to give it some of the benefit of the doubt. Because what appears to happen is, as I kind of said, alluded to in, in the synopsis, I, I think the Romulan ship decloaked right in the way. And it looks like there's an explosion to uh, on what the, the the port side of the Romulan ship, right? Like like Dukat's ship rammed into it, and it's like, but but later they uh, Cisco and company say the ship got away. So I think the whole thing's very confusing. Right? Yeah, and I wasn't clear. sure if that was because it all looks like one giant panel that has you know. Three Romulan birds of prey, or Romulan warbirds, whatever they're called. Two of them look like they're getting hit in the back. One's getting hit in the back, and one's getting hit on the side. Right. So I'm not sure if that's supposed to be three different ships, or three different, you know, timeline, three three different pictures of the same ship, you know. But there's not like a panel break. So I wasn't sure if, you know, three ships decloaked and two of them got hit by something, yeah, I, I thought it was the same ship, the same Romulan ship that uh, – and I'm trying to page back to, to that particular page. But it, to me, it looked like it was the same Romulan ship. I could be wrong, though. Right. Well, then then there should be some panel breaks, but instead it just shows ship, then it says choom. Choom. With an explosion on the back, then another right. choom, and then an explosion on the side, and then the Defiant. So I wasn't sure what happened there. It was very or unclear. Or how many ships were there. Yep. It was very unclear. All right. Glad I wasn't the only one a little lost. You are not the only one. You're not the only one, damn it, Donovan. Although I will say that it's amazing how, uh, how much damage Martok took so quickly. Oh, yeah, and have to destroy all his ships. Well, at least the one he was on, for sure. For sure. If not all of them, but at right. least the one that he was on. Yeah, does that seem like a good use of your ships? I mean, it basically feels like he threw us threw them away. All but, and he could have helped Worf earlier and maybe salvaged all their ships. But instead, let's wait until Worf's about to die. Then I'm going to throw my ships in until they're about to die. I did not get his his logic there. His tactic. Waiting, yeah. Yeah, well... Well, I mean, he, he actually came out and said it. He wants to see if Worf can, uh, can fight his way out of this. That would be glorious. I'm not going to... I'm not going to deprive him of this possible victory to end all victories. And it's like, right. but well, okay, when... that's fine, but he's really getting his... Yeah, Defiant's really getting his butt kicked. And then it, if then he doesn't... He doesn't uh, save himself, so then that makes him even... That's another peg taken out of uh, Worf's cap there. Just shows, again, how inept he is as a captain in this this issue. (laughs) Boy, you really like to go for that thesis. I thought that's what they were giving me. Yeah, exactly. Anyways. Well, yeah, so I definitely was wondering what happened to Kot's ship. So, that was odd. Okay, another thing I'm kind of wondering about, another ship I'm kind of wondering about, is the Enterprise-E. 
Yeah, where'd it go? Where'd it go? So did the comic just choose not to show, you know, Starfleet's finest making a good accounting of itself at this battle? Uh, was it not there? It certainly sounded like it was going to be there. It certainly is there at the end to beam the Admiral over. Right. You know. Where's Picard? Haven't seen Picard at all. But You saw Riker. And Riker's been like lapdog to to the Admiral and stuff, but right. you know where's Picard? Well, I know that he has a big part in the next story, so um, I don't know if the next story takes place during all this or just right after. Yeah, either they're going to go back and show us, you know, like the uh, same thing happened, but this is it from the Enterprise's standpoint, or which I don't think is going to happen. Yeah, I, don't I think, think it's going to happen. I think they're going to go right to. Whatever shenanigans they're going to be up to in the uh, in the gamma quadrant, right? So it's like, where's the Enterprise? What was there some reason you you couldn't at least give it a panel or two, or um, and wh- and why no? I mean, except there was one quick shot of Lacutus. Other than that, no Picard. Right, and let's talk about that shot of Lucutus. That was another scenario where I don't understand what point he's trying to make. Did Picard give up when he was attacking the Borg? Picard was the Borg. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, are he, you saying that when he was the Borg, did he, did he ever give up? Well, apparently he didn't because in the end, he suggested to Data um, the tactic that actually ended up working. Mm. But, I mean, he, he was Borgified. So he definitely, at least he gave up long enough to <laughs> destroy all the Feder- you know, most of the Federation ships at Wolf 359. And uh, that's, that's the whole thing. You know, mm. in, that, in that panel, it's w- Cisco remembering the Saratoga being destroyed, his wife's dead body, him getting pulled away into the life pod, and then Lacutus. Right. And his point is what? Did Captain Picard give up when he was fighting the Borg? What are you talking about? He killed your wife, and he was a bad guy. Uh, I was really confused. Yeah, it wasn't the best example to prove his point. (laughs) (laughs) Now, in the end, we find out that, you know, there's still some Picard left that really made all the difference. But still, that was not what they were showing in that that memory flashback. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So what did you think of the artwork of Omega Squad? Oh, Yet another artist. Well... Better than the last one. Better than the last one, but it still wasn't great. Is it just because we're used to kind of the cartoony style of Starfleet Academy that... Well, I don't know that it's that cartoony, quite frankly. I think it's pretty good. I like it. I like that, it, too. Now, now, I will say, I do kind of like uh, the look on Decker's face as he's saluting Cisco. Right. It's all part of the service, Captain. So, it, you know, the way his mouth is and everything, he, that's a pretty good shot of him. But it still looks like a lower quality rendering, hmm. you know, drawing, than what I'm used to seeing in the Starfleet Academy ones. I don't know my, if it's my lower opinion. quality. It's different. So, Well, you must admit the Grindberg depiction is not good. Um, I agree. I did not care for that one. Okay. And this is better. But I still like, the Starfleet Academy drawings better, right? Personal preference. I agree with you because, and, and you know, you say it's not cartoony, but I mean, it, it does have that that style which I like. 
that's not but it's 100% cartoony? accurate. I don't know if well, cartoony is the right word, but yeah. I mean, it doesn't look photorealistic by no. any stretch of the imagination, but well, no, it, no. it looks like a 90s comic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, well. Good. I don't know, and I like that style. I mean, maybe it's right. just because of the hair and, and everything that, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I agree with you. I like Starfleet Academy better, but this this one I thought was pretty pretty close. I thought this was pretty. It, it was, it's not bad. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, the admirals. The look on the admiral's face is kind of over the top all the time. So he's got a big old massive grimace in one, you know, for like a, a profile kind of thing, in one panel. And then there's another one where he's like, you know, fate, you know, full facial, you know, talking to Cisco. I kind of like the look on his face there, too. He looks like a pompous hole. But... <laughs> well, I, I, I like the look on his face. I think this that's good. Right. Yeah. Do you feel, say, feel like saying hi to your son? Yeah, something's not right there. No. And I looked... You know, they're all beaming out together to the Enterprise. So I want to see the conversation after they arrive at the Enterprise. Between the Deckers. Right. Or... Or Troy, because I think Troy is now siding with Decker. Well, Troy's got something going on with her contact with Depril, I think. With her snapping at her? Yes. Right. With her snapping at the end and with her holding her head, I think something's definitely going on with her. Okay, but you think it's still her? Because I was kind of thinking maybe she was a, a changeling, but it doesn't explain why she's holding oh, her hand. well, you think Troy's a changeling? Oh, I thought maybe they switched her out. That's an interesting thought. Um, but that doesn't explain why she's holding her head, so... No. Uh, it, it seemed like she was fine until she, like, kind of did a mind meld or well, whatever she was doing with Japrail. Oh, uh, right. So while Tapril was being, uh, you know, was getting the medical attention, uh, Bashir told Troy to, you know, keep, keep her, something, keep, keep her, her calm, going, whatever. Yeah, yeah right. whatever. Oh, that's right. When she initiated the Vulcan self-healing, which I call it, you know, make sure to slap her when she comes out, needs to come out of it, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think it was that contact that somehow got. Uh, Deanna wigged out. Okay. Because maybe she knows something's not right with her. She's not all Vulcan. Well, she's she should at least be able to tell that, right? I mean, she reads emotions, right? Right. And it's like, she's she normally gets a blank slate from Vulcans, and she's got anything but a blank slate emotionally from T'Pril at this point. But for the, for the record, T'Pril was a, in a coma. A healing coma or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but... Yeah, okay. But yeah, you're right. So, you're probably right. That, that's that's why she's holding her head. Something something happened there. Right. And so, she just becomes a little touchy with uh, Pava. Yeah. So... Yeah, so I think it's important that Edom is not too close to the Admiral. So I think that's why he is... Uh, with Tapril being kept away from him. Um, the only thing is, this Admiral is a cool customer. I mean, if he if he is a changeling, and 
he knows Edom is no longer drugged, and he's at the other part of the station. I mean, he's pretty lucky that Bashir came up with this whole thing about Edom having to stay at the station. Right. Anyway, that was kind of odd. So why can't Edom just use the force to have Decker pardon them or whatever? Like, like he's been able to control other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, flick the, uh, turn off the security force field, whatever. Right. These, that guard. These are not, we are not the cadets you want to kill. <laughs> we don't want to kill these cadets. Exactly. You actually want to promote us. I think we should promote them. Yes. Yeah, why, why doesn't he do that? I don't know. Good question. Hmm. That would that'd be too easy. It would be. It would be too easy. So, two issues in, or I'm sorry, three issues in, and how much telepathy have we uh, been dealing with in this telepathy war? Not too much. Not uh, too much. Almost zero. Well, yeah. So we had a lot of it. Obviously, we were on the front lines of the telepathy war during that Starfleet Academy issue where they were on Talos Four. Right. Big time. Big time. And then it's kind of like, you know, all these other things going on. Right. Them breaking out, them being in the middle of the Dominion uh, attack on Deep Space Nine. But, obviously, we're seeing that they... The attack on Deep Space Nine was a diversionary thing. That was not the main point. They're, everybody's saying that. Right. So what was the main point? What happened? Did they try to smuggle something through the wormhole? Uh, what? Maybe some of those cloaked ships like that made it to Talos for a couple of shows ago? I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. I bet we find out next issue. I think we do. Although I have, I really don't know what the heck they're they're going to do with the Enterprise in the Gamma Quadrant. So, I mean, right. are they actually going to take a task force? Now, I, I I haven't read the the issues ne- next, but I mean, what are they going to do in the Gamma Quadrant? I thought there was a massive ships waiting to come come through. So right. who knows what happened with those massive ships now that they were able to get their diversion and sneak their Jem'Hadar troops across or whatever they did. Right. But, now, do um, they still have those sensors on the other side to tell them how many ships are still over there? Well, they keep quoting it. Right. They keep quoting them. So, and I was thinking, well, isn't that the first thing you'd probably want to take out if you were the Jem'Hadar? Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, make them blind so they don't know what's coming. Unless they wanted them to see that, to, you know, wig them out and think, oh, my God, we're going to be attacked again. Right. Um, to further the amount of cover they were going to get when they, they snuck the uh, the other ships across. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, so what what is the Enterprise going to do? I mean, if the Enterprise goes across alone... Good luck. And if they go across the task force, it's like, oh boy, well, that's ballsy. Right. And why do they need to take Omega Squad with them? Uh, exactly. They don't need to. Right. Except that um, the Admiral does not want to lose them again. And quite frankly, if the Admiral's big thing is to get Omega Squad and bring them back to Earth, why are they even talking about going... <laughs> To the Gamma Quadrant, they they got a lot of ex- they got a lot of explaining to do, Lucy. <laughs> I want I want some explaining next issue, right? But that's why we're gonna go for the next issue, right? And then listen to the next thrill-packed episode of Star Trek Comic Book Review. That's why I'm gonna be here. Ex- 
Right. Me too, I think. Hope so. All right. So I have a comment about this Day of Honor thing. Yes. So this came out, what, late 1997, early 1998, right? Oh, well, this is the beginning of 1998, right? So this is January. So in September of 1997 was an episode of Voyager called Day of Honor. Uh Uh-huh. And it talks about the Day of Honor being the time when Klingons think back of all the events of their life, all their deeds, and you know, basically weigh to see do the good deeds outweigh the bad? Do, do they do are they honorable? Oh, okay. Which you know, because that was a television episode, we have to consider that as the canon definition of day of honor. Right. And then in addition to that, Pocketbooks came out with about like six books that tied in with the Day of Honor. So there was like some Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, original series, you know, all had a, a Day of Honor um, hmm. issue or a novel or two. I think Deep Space Nine might have had two and Voyager might have had two. But, but anyways, there was quite a few novels set in this Day of Honor event, you know, at different times in different people's lives. And then for this one to come out around the same time, Day of Honor... I really thought it was going to somehow tie in with the pocketbooks and the uh, Voyager episode. And then here they come up with a brand new definition of Day of Honor as being the day you're supposed to work closely with your enemies. Right. So I, I was really confused. And the timing really seemed odd because they had to have known uh, that, that that episode was coming out because it was a big marketing thing that, that Paramount was doing. Hmm. So I thought that was weird. Yeah, I mean, especially uh, Chip Carter, right? He's right. the guy. He's Starfleet, you know, whatever. Right. I thought Chip Carter was some kind of a representative from Paramount, and I know I've said this as a theory <laughs> that we have not proven one way or the other. But um, if he is supposed to be some kind of liaison um, from Paramount to this comic book series and the other comic book series that are going on. Um, I don't think he, I don't think he did his job too well <laughs> when the writers said, look, we want to use day of honor, you know, like, but we want a different definition. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I just wanted to point that out that, uh, that it was, it was a little odd. You know, Donovan, I think you would be a good continuity person if there ever was another Star Trek TV show again. Yeah, or or if they ever cared about continuity again. <laughs> uh, what Michael Okuda does? Yeah, he does a pretty good job. Yeah, he does do a pretty good job. Anyway, it it helps if you're writing the stuff too, I guess. Well, yes. Yeah, but and you're dealing with a brand new rebooted universe, then you don't necessarily have to even take into account stuff that's supposed to happen before your events. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. Anyway. That's, that's how we got away from continuity. The reboot. <laughs> the movie reboot, yeah. Okay, so right. I think, yeah, that's everything I had to say. Um, my last comment was when Troy beamed uh, to Pril and her to sickbay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Jemadar was going to shoot her in the head. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it's, a, it's a good thing they, they beamed out when they did. Right. So. Oh, and I lied. I had one more. Okay. 
So O'Brien says Jake was on one of the escape pods with Keiko, Molly, and little Yoshi. That's what he tells Cisco to let Cisco know that Jake's safe. Right. Last issue, we saw Molly, Yoshi, and Keiko board one of the shuttles that was taking people to um, Bajor. Oops. Because Cisco even makes a big deal that O'Brien's down down there saying goodbye to his family. Right. And then here, it implies that she, they just left on an escape pod. Yeah. Something's not right. Good Turn point. Good Turn point, Mr. Continuity. Good point. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Nothing. All right. So next week, we're only going to do two issues, but uh, they are fairly large ones. ones. They're beefy ones. So we have Star Trek Unlimited number six, which is usually half Taz, half Next Gen, but next week it'll be all Next Gen, and it'll be Telepathy Four num- Telepathy War number four, and then we have an issue just called Telepathy War issue number one, which is really the fifth part of the Telepathy War miniseries. Right. And then the following week we will do Voyager. What was it? Number thirteen, which 13. is. Lucky Telepathy 13. War number six, but I don't know how much it actually ties in with any of this. Right. J- just scanning it briefly, I know they have a Telosian in one of the panels. Whether that's just a memory or not, I don't know. Right. But um, just scanning some of the artwork, it doesn't look like it has much to do with Telepathy War. Right. And when you read some of this uh, publishing material that came out when these issues were coming out, yeah. It says in there that Telepathy War number one is the conclusion of the Telepathy War. And then yet there is still another issue that has Telepathy War number six on the cover. So huh. how can number five be the conclusion and number six? So I'm kind of wondering if six, that one was just kind of tacked on. Right. We'll sell more issues if we stick this little logo on there. Exactly. People are liking this. Huh? <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I guess we'll let everybody go and catch back up next week. Sounds great. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on The Review later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starT comicbookreview at gmail.com Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic second name book review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review Let's get the hell out of here